The Chatham Colored All-Stars made history. They were a team that fought prejudice and injustices to play the game they love, and in the 1934 season, they became the champions of the Ontario Baseball Association, becoming the first black team to ever do so. We'll be saying the team's name frequently on this podcast. Referring to a group of people as colored in 2021 is inappropriate, but for the sake of historical accuracy, we'll be using the team's name as it appeared in that season. On the 519 podcast this week, we'll hear from Blake Harding, the son of one of the star players of that original 1934 team, as well as sports historian Bill Humber and authors Brock Greenhalge and Dr. Heidi Jacobs. The Chatham Colored All-Stars were a great team. They dominated local competition and had several players, if not for the color of their skin, could have played in the major league. What was their story and why do we not know more about it? Here's your host of the 519 podcast this week, Scott Kitchen. Dad would tell me about different times, different games, different problems, you know, bumps in the road. But uh, the team was a, a real core. And they were basically out of the East End of Chatham. A few boys come down from Windsor and Detroit, actually. And uh, so, some from Buxton, the local area. It was tough ball. It was good ball. That was Blake Harding. He is the son of Wilfred Boomer Harding, who was the first baseman for the Chatham Colored All-Stars and one of the team's top players. The Chatham Colored All-Stars were the first all-black team to play in the Ontario Baseball Association. Brock Greenhalge is the writer of The Hard Road to Victory, the Chatham Colored All-Stars. They had started off, it was, it was a group of young guys. A lot of them were just friends from the neighborhood. Um, they ranged in age uh, in the 19, back in 1932, they were probably, you know, somewhere between the ages of 18 and, and their early 20s. Uh, some of them had friends in the Windsor, Detroit area, invited uh, their friends to come and, uh, and play with the team. Uh, some of those uh, fellows found found work in Chatham. Before their championship season in 1934, the All-Stars played what was known as barnstorming baseball. Greenhalge explains. They would travel around to other communities in and around southern Ontario and cross the border into Michigan and so on and play against other teams in these communities. They'd pass the hat. They would have an exhibition game. And it was, uh, again, a form of entertainment and, and share the, uh, the winnings that way or the, uh, the draw that they had pulled in. Uh, by 1934, one of the, uh, the, the, the members in the community, uh, Archie Sterling, who owned one of the stores in, uh, in that part of Chatham, went to the team and said, look, you guys are really good. You should consider being in the Chatham City League. Uh, they made the jump into the City League in 34. They won the City League, and that gave them the opportunity to compete in the uh, OBAA playdowns. The challenge was, though, that in a lot of communities, uh, black athletes would not be uh, expected to come and play or, or really accepted uh, in a lot of ways. In Chatham, it, it, was, it was somewhat different. Uh, back in the, 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 in the 1800s, a third of the population in Chatham were descended from, from former slaves. So having a black and white population living together, working together, was something that was normal in Chatham, but not, not, as, not as normal in other communities. So that, I think, was part of the big uh, challenge for a lot of the players when they would go into these other communities. Now, the setting and the time played a very important role in this story. Not only was it in the middle of the Great Depression, but racism and inequality were also challenges that the All-Stars had to face during their season. In some, uh, some communities, you had a, there was a term called sundown towns, and these were towns, uh, Dresden, for example, for the longest time was a sundown town. Basically, if you were not uh, uh, white, you were not to be off your property after, after dark. 
before if you were visiting and you're staying at a motel or anything like that, you were expected to stay at your, your motel. So that was something in, in some communities, uh, you know, umpires didn't make uh, fair decisions. Sometimes uh, other players would, uh, you know, an, attempt to uh, intentionally injure the players by sliding in with their spikes up. Um, there were racist slogans and, and drawings that were uh, put on the sidewalks leading to ballparks. And these were all, these were, were run, you know, sort of run of the mill uh, things that the, the players would notice when they were going into these towns. So that was, that's kind of the backdrop of, of what was going on. And, and really um, it sets the tone as well too, when, when the team is, is going off to play in the, in the, the final uh, against uh, the team from Penetanguishing as well. Some of the opposing teams might get uh, might get upset if they were losing, right? And and if you're if you're a poor sport, uh, you know you might turn to uh, you know sliding in an extra little a little harder than you normally would into say second base or something like that. So that's really <clears throat> one of those things where um, it's not it, it, you know the poor sportsmanship sort of can can raise its head in, in some of those situations for sure. Blake Harding reflects on some of those experiences that his dad and uncles had to endure. There was no roses in Totem either. The thing my father left me and my uncles left me was uh, not to be bitter. You know, don't be bitter. Uh, go out. If you have to work a little harder to prove yourself, that's what you have to do. You know, don't, don't whine about it, but get on with it and, and prove you're just as good, if not better, than the guy you're competing against. And sports give them that, that uh, venue. But I, I remember when they were back, he told me about one particular time in West Lorne. They were playing up in West Lorne. And it didn't matter if they won or they lost. They usually had to fight their way out of town. Like if they won, it was because people were angry and that they felt that this team of all blacks had belittled them. Or if, they, if the uh, other team had won, then they ridiculed him. But my dad would tell me about leaving West Lorne this one particular time. He said six and seven-year-old kids were throwing stones and rocks and sticks at him and calling the N-word and everything else. And they were being cheered on by their parents, you know, until they got to their cars. It was rough. And um, I had, the, I guess, the good fortune to be the bat boys in the late 50s and the early 60s when they were the Chatham Panthers. And... Uh, I remember sitting in a dugout and they gave what they got. You know, there was a lot of bad calls. My dad caught for a while and flat chase who is, uh, is known in history for, you know, probably having a hundred mile an hour fastball in 1930. And he would, he would talk to him between innings. He says, you're not getting calls. He said, just bring it in there at a hundred miles an hour, go for my target. And he said, I'll take care of the rest. So he, He'd bring a fastball in 100 miles an hour. My dad have it up just at the last minute. He'd move his glove and let it rattle off the umpire's cage. And so after that, they'd get the calls, you know, that type of thing. If there was a bad bad slide or something on the bases, uh, they'd go out and the next inning, guy come down and they'd put the glove, you know, between his eyes and break his nose. You know, that that's the way they played ball. And... Uh, but they were they were talented. They were good. They just loved to play the game, and they went through the abuse to play the game. And when they walked away, they had their heads up. It really is an amazing story. But did you even know about the Chatham Colored All-Stars? Dr. Heidi Jacobs is a librarian at the University of Windsor and is currently writing a book about the team. 
She says it's a story that a lot of Canadians just haven't heard. Uh, when we first started doing this project, if we would do any presentations in Chatham, most of the time people had heard of the team. But just going Windsor, people hadn't heard this story. And that's only, you know, it's under an hour away. So this is a really fantastic story. And every time I present on this um, and I talk about different players, particularly someone like Earl Flat Chase, people go, how do we not know about this man? I'm like, yeah, how do we not know about him? So I think it's definitely a story that needs to be heard and told and, and celebrated. With the backdrop of racism now painted, it really makes what the All-Stars accomplished even more remarkable. The iconic championship season took place in 1934, beginning in their hometown league. In the, the Chatham League, they only lost one regular season game the whole season. And they were, uh, at the same time, uh, juggling as many uh, um, exhibition games as they could find as well, too. So here were these young guys working through the day, playing baseball in the evening, uh, you know, in some cases, say five or six nights a week. Uh, and that was, uh, I'm sure it was draining on them. But that, again, they're, this is what they love to do. This is where they wanted to be. And they were able to, uh, to continue to do that. When they got into the, the, uh, the tournament, their first uh, series was against Sarnia. Chatham won the first game. Uh, what happened after that? Sarnia wasn't able to field the team, so they had to, uh, uh, they had to default, and, uh, and Chatham moved on. Uh, they went to uh, Welland, and they went to Milton, uh, and, and had uh, reasonable – I think they, they, they might have lost one game in, in either of those divisions or the, uh, in those playdowns. But when they got to Penetanguishene, uh, Penetang Machine had this player, his name was Phil Marshallden. How good was the competition for the All-Stars? Marshallden, after the 1934 series, eventually spent a decade in the major leagues. Bill Humber is a baseball historian who's been inducted into the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. And, and to put it in some kind of perspective how good the level of competition was, we can at least refer to the, the pitcher on the Penetang team was a guy named Phil Marshallden. And Phil would eventually win 68 major league games with the Philadelphia Athletics in the 1940s and would have won war, except more, I should say, except that he was away at war. So the opposition had an ace pitcher, but the All-Stars were up to the challenge. Phil Marshall, I think, arguably after Ferguson Jenkins, was probably the greatest pitcher um, in in potentially in Canadian baseball history and would certainly have won the most games other than Fergie had it not been for the war. And then the, the, the effect of the war afterwards, which really kind of derailed his career eventually. Uh, and he retired probably earlier than he might've had he not had that experience. So this was pretty good level baseball. And these were, this was a really, uh, you know, outstanding team led by uh, Phil Marshall in the pitcher uh, that the Chatham colored all-stars were playing in the finals. And, and obviously, it was quite a, a challenge for them to, to play against that level. But on the other hand, they were incredibly talented players as well um, and were well remembered uh, in the Chatham area long after um, the experience of 1934. With elite skills on both sides, the stage was certainly set for a tight final series. They were riding the arm of this guy, uh, Phil, all the way along. And uh, it ended up being in that the final series, Chatham went up, uh, beat them in Penetang machine. They came back and two days later, they turned around. That's a 500 kilometer journey, by the way, back in the 1930s. Uh, but they had a, the, the second game in Chatham and, uh, and, and Penetang was able to win that game. But in each of those starts, they had 
uh, Marshallman. That's unheard of today. You wouldn't you wouldn't have a pitcher start three games in a row over the span of what was really maybe a week or a week and a half. Um, so that's that was how how dominant they were, and uh, and really uh, uh, you know really. Great, great athleticism while they were uh, playing all those games as well, too. And the game, the, the, the third game was supposed to, it was played on the 22nd, I think, of October in 1934. And that was one that ended up being called. And what ended up happening was the umpires say it's too dark to play. Chatham's up three to two. Uh, they say we're going to, er- they, they erase the run that Chatham has scored. They bring the score back to 2-2 and they say, we'll call this game a tie. And we'll have a fourth game tomorrow to determine the championship. Well, players on on, on both sides were like, well, that's, you know, first of all, the Chatham players were were out of their minds because of, they knew exactly what was going on. The the, the Penitent players weren't wanting to win a championship in this way. They were they thought we've got two more outs. Um, we could tie it. We could rally. We could win. Um, and what, you know, what could have happened if it was really too dark to play, the other argument is all of the research says that that decision was made at 4.30 in the afternoon. Now, 4.30 in the afternoon on, in October, I would think there would still be some time to finish that game. But if that was the case, maybe a storm was coming in or something, uh, the idea could have been that you could have finished the game the next day, but set it up exactly the way that it was. It's three to two. There's one out. It's the bottom of the 11th, you know, players and position and all that sort of stuff. Um, but they didn't do that. What the organizers of the OBAA said to the umpires was, you've now said that it's going to be a, a fourth game. You will not umpire that game. So they sent that crew of umpires home and they brought in another crew of umpires from Hamilton, actually, uh, to, uh, to umpire the fourth game. And then Chatham won the fourth game uh, 13 to seven. So it was a, it was a no brainer, right? It was a much closer game. Uh, the one before, but um, Panatanguishin tried again to put uh, Marshall on the on the mound. He, you know, his arm was sore. He'd been pitching for you know all those days before, and it just they didn't really have someone else that they could go to. So whereas Chatham had a few different arms that they could uh, they could rotate through, and uh, and they were able to, to finish off the game. Now, despite those challenges they faced and all the odds they overcame, both their peers and baseball fans knew that this team was one of the province's most talented. They were, they were good athletes. They knew how to play the game. Uh, they brought some humor into it uh, as well. And I think they were, they were accepted in, in that form. Um, when they made the jump to the, the City League by 34, uh, they, were, they were seen as contenders because they were, you know, they were quite good at, at what they were doing. Um, and, and the, in all of the research that I've done that, you know, the idea is thrown around, well, what if, what if there was no color barrier back in 1934? Would any of them have played in the major leagues? Blake Harding said the media at the time asked his father about the major leagues and he knew exactly why he and some of his teammates were never able to get to that level. The writer from the London Free Press, he was originally from Chatham, but Ernie Miller, and, uh, he was a really good sports writer back in the late 60s, early 70s. And um, he, he interviewed my dad one time. And he said, how do you feel about, you know, your your career, so to speak, in, in baseball? Uh, do you feel you could have made the major leagues? And my dad said, yeah. And he just rubbed his arm and said, that's why. He said, yeah, you know, it's, it's obvious. 
And he said there was about five players on the team that could have easily made Major League Baseball. Though the players couldn't and didn't make it to the majors, the people of Chatham knew and appreciated the talent that they got to witness. They went into that final um, series against Penetanguishene. The first game was up in Penetanguishene. Uh, they went up there. They won that game. When they returned to Chatham for the second game, there were close to 2,000 people that came out to uh, to the ballpark to watch them. So this is and that's a, and back in 1934, that was a big number of people. Uh, the uh, many of the shops downtown Chatham had closed up for the day, uh, so that people could go and watch the game. And it was really seen as a as a way to uh, to celebrate the town as well. Uh, when they when they finally won the the, uh, the 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 championship, and they came back, the the championship games were were set in Guelph actually. So uh, they they rode back after the they finally captured the championship. And there was a big celebration again at, uh, at City Hall. So I think that they were, they were seen as, as the city's team. With the major accomplishment of winning the series, the members of the Chatham Colored All-Stars started to see some changes in the way that they were treated. It opened doors. At that time, uh, you know, Chatham had a history of uh, a large minority of, of Blacks being here after after uh, slavery had ended in the States in North Buxton, Dresden, Shrewsbury, uh, the immediate immediate uh, area, and even a, a full army company of people of color uh, back in the very early days. So I, it was it was almost two communities, uh, the East End and in the rest of Chatham. Well, the All-Stars brought they became Chatham's team. There was never an OBA championship here before, let alone from a black team. But what happened and what he used to tell me about, and I, I saw this even into the 60s and the seven, fifth, late 50s, 60s, Sterling Park would be packed on home games on a Sunday. I mean, the, the venues for entertainment were far and few between at the time, uh, the local theaters. But other than that, Baseball was a big thing. And it wasn't just the East End people that attended. It was the city of Chatham would get behind it. Um, as I told um, when I was talking to Professor uh, Wright and um, Professor Jacobs from the university when they put the launched the website uh, on this matter, I, I told them like it, it melted the community together. Like they're all rooting for the All-Stars, um, to succeed. I mean, they were playing a high-quality ball. It was very entertaining. And it opened doors for the community years after. Uh, my dad was the first uh, person colored to deliver mail. Uh, my uncle Andy, who played on the team a couple of years later, was the first black police officer in Ontario. My uncle Ken was a brother-in-law who married one of my dad's sisters was the first black firefighter and became a captain and retired from the Chatham Fire Department. And um, it definitely opened doors. Uh, they all had high equivalency of high school education. And a gentleman that's very well known and his name is well known in Chatham, who had uh, quite a bit of influence was Mr. Gray and the Gray Dort and the Gray Manor. And um, they, were, they had quite a... Um, Quite a bit of wealth 
And my dad and my uncle were working as bellhops and shoeshine boys at the Chatham uh, William Pitt Hotel. And because he had followed their sports um, career, so to speak, he came in and he said, you guys both got high school. And they said, yeah. And he said, uh, you deserve better than this. He said, let me know what you wanted in and I will like, write you a letter of reference. And whatever it is, he said, just let me know what it is. And he he wrote a letter of references to them. Um, it, it it just the parade when they won when they won the OBA championship from Penetanguishing, like the whole city turned out. They rode on the fire trucks. It was it was a great day, and um, you know the city gained by this ball team. Uh, they sold gas. They had people come in town. They had restaurants that you know were serving meals. The the, the whole commercial end of it was opened up. So yeah, everybody was behind behind the, the team at that time. They were quote Chatham's boys, um, which doesn't go over today. But uh, the sentiment was that you know they were behind the team, and uh, it did it changed the way of thinking. Um, I know it made my life easier and it made my children's life easier and definitely my grandchildren's life easier because they, they went through it and they went through a lot. And for anybody who didn't think there was racial prejudice in Southwestern Ontario needs to give their head a shake. It's ironic that it's at this time of life in our history with everything that's going on south of the border plus here in Canada that this story is being told. I think it needs to be told. I think um, there was another young fellow that didn't get into the local hall of fame, really good athlete, a black athlete. I won't mention his name without his permission, mm-hmm. but he, he was really good. And he tried to get into the Chatham sports hall of fame and he was born in the East end and he didn't make it the first goal. And he was really bitter about it. And I told him, I said, you know, like, first of all, you've got to give him, the documentation for this so that they can support your entry and keep the quality of who goes into the hall of fame up. Secondly, it's not about you. It's about the kids that are growing up today and saying, look, he did this. These guys did that. Things were really rough and they were able to accomplish this. So today, get your education, work hard. Don't take no for an answer. If you really want it, go for it because that's one thing about living in this country. It, it's not all roses, but there's a venue. There's an avenue there for you to, to take to get where you want to get to. My aunt, who became one of the first black school teachers in, in Windsor, um, my dad's sister, second oldest sister, she um, she came back to Chatham and she said she used to see some of the all-stars who didn't make it you know, out of where they wanted to get. Uh, because of the lack of education, because of the lack of opportunities, sitting on the quick bank, drinking wine out of a paper bag. And she used to shake her head and say, you know, those were one or two of the guys that probably could have made pro. The Chatham Colored All-Stars have been an inspiration to so many, both for their on-the-field and off-the-field accomplishments. And they have rightfully claimed a spot in the history of baseball in Canada. Humber tells us they go into the books among some of the elite teams in the country's history, even if many of us don't know the whole story. I would put them in that same category 
as the St. John Royals from New Brunswick, a prominent team in the 1920s in Atlantic Canada, and the Amber Valley team from Northern Alberta. And I would go back as far as 1869 to, you know, one of the one of the unfortunate things of the records of those two teams in 1869 is they never included the box scores. They would talk about the teams. They would talk about the the games they would play with uh, uh, all white teams. But unfortunately, they never produced box scores. So we, so we don't even know, in the case of the 1869 teams, who the players were. So the only lingering question that remains unanswered is why hasn't the team been inducted into the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame? Well, Dr. Jacob says it's an important story in Canada's rich baseball history. You know, there there is an awful lot to be to be told about this team. There are a lot of stories and I think one of the things that I've really got from meeting the families and talking with their their children and their grandchildren is just all of the the barriers that this team broke, not only on the baseball field, but how their success on the baseball team helped them uh, forge some lives within the community and um, and why the story really needs to be told. I think the, the families have been doing a fantastic job of maintaining it in terms of scrapbooks and, and oral histories, but I think everybody's ready for this story to be told um, on a larger national an international scale. So I don't think this is just a, a Chatham story or a Southwestern Ontario story. I think it's a it's a baseball story and it's a Canadian sports story. And I, I think that's the one thing I would really strongly encourage people to st- not only to look into the, the All-Stars, fascinating, but just, you know, sort of look behind the history that we know. There's all sorts of other uh, baseball stories sort of hidden that need to be uncovered as well. So uh, this is just one of many, many vital stories that we need to look into. They've been on the ballot for four years now, with many people showing their support when it comes to getting the team inducted. Students have written letters. So has Chatham-Kent Municipal Council. And letters have been written by local MPs and MPPs. The support is there, and it's still continuing to grow. Brock Greenhalgh organized a charity softball game at the Fergie Jenkins Field in Rotary Park on October 2nd. Even back in the last winter and into the spring, looking at ways to honor the team in, in, in different ways. Um, and and I, at one point I thought, well, you know, maybe we can have a, a charity game where we, we can contact the descendants of the players from that team. The players that we have coming out, some of them are great-grandchildren, some of them are great-grandnieces and uh, great-grandnephews, uh, and uh, some we've, we've, we've had people adopt other people in some ways because we've had multiple families that have been connected to things. I'm hoping that it's, it's sort of one last sort of catapult to, to get, uh, get some more interest in there uh, for the team and for, uh, for people to say, okay, yeah, let's, let's see what else we can do to, to make this work. Their place in history is secure. And their legacy will endure, according to Dr. Jacobs. So what's interesting about the All-Stars is, you know, they not only were the team to sort of break, we call it, you know, breaking this color barrier that was happening in 1934. Um, Certainly it wasn't completely broken when they broke it, but they still, I think, did a lot to um, highlight the skills and just the the talent on this team by Um, winning this championship. The story of the Chatham Colored All-Stars is one that transcends sports. It speaks to determination and the talent of these men. But it also includes shameful memories of how these men were treated at times in this country. 
Despite that and the other obstacles they faced, this team is remembered as one of the great Canadian sports stories of all time, and one of the great what-ifs as well. What if the Major League color barrier had been broken long before Jackie Robinson took the field for the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1947? Would Boomer Harding have hit a home run off Dizzy Dean? Could Flat Chase have blown a fastball by Lou Gehrig, Jimmy Fox, or Mel Ott? We'll never know, sadly. But maybe the Chatham-colored All-Stars could have kept up with those Hall of Famers. For now, their family members will play a game to remember the legacy of a legendary group of players. The thing I'd like to pass on, and the reason I'm, I'm going to play in the game on Saturday, I'm 73, but, you know, if I don't throw my back out, I'll be okay. But it's to give them every shot and get every bit of um, information out there so that maybe it does help push them into, into St. Mary's, which, you know, they deserve to be there. They really deserve to be there, what they've done for our families and our community and in and, and our province, you know, they, and Canada as a whole. They, they were pioneers. And uh, I guess that kind of sums it all up. It couldn't be more proud to have that name on my back. And I tell my kids when they go out, you know, remember, remember who you are. This episode of the 519 Podcast was written and produced by Craig Needles, Patrick Magermans, and Haley Chang. It was hosted by Scott Kitchen. The 519 Podcast is a presentation of Blackburn Media.